I'm mailing about with DJ Thomas. We're at Lindy's in New York City. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you again. Have you had the famous worldwide cheesecake? No, I haven't. You know, I haven't yet. We'll, we'll have to have some. Oh, um, I'll have a little bite. If we ever get weighted on here. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bite. Yeah, okay, okay. So how are you enjoying your stay in New York? Oh, I'm really loving it. You know, of course, I, I lived here. Uh, Gloria and I got got married and lived in Memphis for about a year, and then we moved to New York, and we lived up here for a little over five years. Uh-huh. Whereabouts? Had our, had our well, own uh, 86 and 2nd. We were neighbors. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and then we, we had our first daughter here in Manhattan Hospital, and... Uh, and then we, we bought a house up in Stanford, Connecticut, and then we went back to Texas in 75. But uh, so it's, it feels great to be up here, and I have all kinds of long-time friends up here. So yeah, it's yeah. Great, yeah. Now, is it true that you've been with your wife for over 40 years? Yeah, we're going to, in December, it'll be 42 years. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how? How is that possible? Oh, well, you know, it wasn't easy. We had our, uh, you know, we crashed a couple of times, but, uh, you know, we still, we were always uh, so much uh, in love, and we still, you know, so love each other. Yeah. Um, and we just never really gave up on each other. Uh, although there were some there were some rough times and uh, and we've had a couple of separations, but nothing that uh, you know nothing that really stuck. And uh, so now you know now we have to try to have an argument if we want to have one. Oh, but, that's uh, we're, great. Yeah, we're so you know just like they say you get so. Um, so tolerant of each other and so you, you almost think alike so yeah she's you know she's been great gloria and she was a great she's songwriter also personal manager as well right? well yeah we run kind of a, a, a management office uh, uh, of, of our own and she takes care of whatever business uh, she can and uh you know she was a great songwriter and, and uh Wrote a, wrote a couple of books, and she's a great, great chick. Did you, um, you actually got married in Las Vegas, correct? In a yeah, we got chapel? married in Vegas. I had, uh, yeah, Chapel of the Bells. We had, I had three days off, and uh, we went into Vegas and stayed at Caesar's Palace and uh, got married and uh, saw Frank Sinatra that night. And, uh, Get out. Yeah, I saw Frank Sinatra, the Fifth Dimension, Jose Feliciano. And I had a steak dinner for 15 bucks, you know, so it was back in the good days. Can't and, beat it. And then we went on the road, and uh, she she traveled with me for years. She, she'll come every now and then. Next week, when we had the uh, the one-nighter, the show at the uh, City Winery, yes, she'll be with me. As well. She'll come with me, and, uh, of course, we have a lot of friends uh, from here show up. So Yeah. You know, what's ironic is here you got married in Vegas, and you one of your very first hits was Suspicious Minds for Elvis Presley. Well, yeah. What that, a weird thing that was. Well, that was, yeah. We were both kind of, uh, I had that on the Raindrops Keep Fall on My Head album, and, of course, he had, you know, he had a number one record of that twice. I had to... Uh, a, a big hit with uh, Suspicious Minds in Brazil, um, and I've had a lot of hit records down in South America, but uh, we were both recording in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and of course he had the major hit on that, and, uh, uh, and what a great, you know, we used to get to be around him every now and then, and he was a wonderful guy. Tell me tell me what it was like to first meet Elvis Presley, oh, what do you remember God. about that? Yeah, I remember I met him at the Memphian Theater when he was in town, and he would show movies all night, and he'd, he'd go uh, watch a movie, so we knew he was over there. And uh, even when we moved, my brother and I moved to Memphis, drove in. The first thing, we didn't even go to our rented uh, apartment. We just drove over to Graceland and uh, and uh, drove right in. The gates were open in those days, 67. And uh, we drove up to the front door. And uh, uh, as it turned out, Uncle Vester, I think was his name, but he had a security guard suit on. He came out and said, uh, 
He said, can I, can I help you boys? And we said, yeah, we want to see Elvis. And he said, well, he said, Elvis is out there in that Hollywood. But he said, uh, he said, he said, would you like to come in? And uh, we said, yeah. So we went in and he let us look around the house. It's amazing, and, uh, that house. And Grandma was in there, was going to make a sandwich. and all that. Anyway, I went to the Memphian and uh, uh, I, I walked down and one of his guys said, uh, you know, uh, uh, E, uh, BJ's here, and so he got up, and he's, he's very gracious, and yeah. uh, I was just, uh, you know, I was just floored. I was awed. You know, I could, it was hard to even get close enough to him to, to shake his hand, because so, he'd always just been a, an idol for, you know, millions and millions of people. Yeah. And uh, just to see him, and he was so beautiful and handsome, and, and he proved to just be a, a great guy. You know, he was a great musician, a, a, a great, uh, incredible a singer, and yeah. uh, he just—he's just the high water mark for all of us. Yeah. I always said my biggest regret was not to meet the skinny Elvis. Oh, he was so beautiful <laughs> oh, in '67, '8, '9, and and uh, you know before I think I think uh, you know the side effects uh, off of some of the medicine he was taking uh, is what made him gain gain so much weight. <clears throat> and I think there was maybe some depression there too. He yeah. was—he was a great guy. It's—it's it's hard to just be in the spotlight and and. Uh, all the time, you know, when he came into the American studio in Memphis, mm -hmm. they recorded every everything, yeah, every conversation. I mean, the, the tape was running the whole the entire time, and you know that's that's a lot of pressure to, to be under. You know, oh, you can't yeah. like leave the tape off until you kind of get it right. Absolutely. They're recording everything, and so uh, that was a lot of pressure and stress for him to live under. And you know, he he held it quite well for a long time. Now, where are you from originally? I love your accent. You know, I I love when you lose your accent when you sing. It's amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. And most most words I'm I'm, uh, I'm are not accented with the with the t uh, Houston, Texas is where I was where I was. Right. I was born in Oklahoma, but uh, I only spent a couple of weeks up there. I, st I still go to Oklahoma, of course, a lot and uh, and love that state. But I'm I'm a Texan. I grew up in Houston. Are you a cowboy? Did you own horses? You I have like been a cowboy in my time and wore a hat everywhere I really? went. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've had my days when I, my years when I just wore the boots and the, and the things like that. But I'm not much Just the boots. Just just the boots alone. Yeah, kind of like the naked cowboy here in the, in the city. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, we've all kind of, you know, got that cowboy thing from, from Texas that most of us from back then. So I've had my cowboy days. Now you mentioned raindrops keep falling on my head and mm -hmm. I don't know that you that you might not be aware of the fact that Robert Redford mm -hmm. was just talking about that song from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I heard about that. I can't wait to see that. I think somebody taped it for me. But. Yeah, and he said, you know, I never thought in a million years that this would work. Yeah. yeah. And it did. Yeah, it just worked big time. You know, they I, I, I was just saying at uh, Hal David's birthday yeah. In, uh, in this May, last May, in in Washington, and uh, we got a chance to sit down and talk about raindrops, and and uh, you know, we just think it was a per perfect uh, uh, blending of composer, writer, and singer, as it turned out in, in the years, the way it's held up. But uh, he was in uh, Redford was very against putting a song in the middle of the movie, and uh, and but, on a bicycle, but, just like yeah. Lida. But Bacharach was uh, very avant-garde, and you know that movie was kind of an art movie, really. If you look when you look at it now, yeah. And uh, uh, he just, you know, he just knew that was work. He was really a genius, really. Both those guys, and uh, they told they gave uh, Hal said they gave him one word, raindrops, and told him to write a frivolous, silly song. And, uh, you know, he said he tried to, but as it turned out, it was a very deep, 
meaningful, uh, almost a spiritual song, and, and, and it did relate to Butch Cassidy as he was hunted by all these lawmen, and he, uh, but at that, at that moment, even with the raindrops falling on him, I mean, he was, he was free with uh, Etta Chase, and so it, it was a beautiful thing, a, a concept that not a lot of people would have come up with. How did you get involved in that project, essentially? Well, I was with Scepter Records, yeah. and of course, Backrack and David uh, produced and wrote all the songs for Dion Warwick, who was Scepter's mainstay. And Dion introduced you to Burt Backrack, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, uh, probably, she probably did. I don't remember the exact, the exact first time I met Burt. But it it was in the Scepter offices, and I, yeah, I believe your idea right, was she she kind of showed him my gold records. I had a couple of gold records come in, and she said, "Hey, you see these?" And you know, better better write this guy something. And of course, Steve Tyrell was a good friend of mine who was a promotion man and A and R director with Scepter and Paul Cantor, and of course Florence Greenberg, the the owner of the company. They were all trying to get Bert to write something for me. Ah. And uh, you know, when the raindrops thing came, it obviously was not a a girl song, uh, you know, a Dion song, and uh, I think they pitched it to. Um, in fact, I know they pitched it to Ray Stevens. They went. Really. Uh, Bert went to Nashville and pitched it to Chet Atkins and Ray Stevens. And I'm always laughing at Ray now, like you know, what an idiot you were to turn it down, you know. Um, Look what but, he passed. But up something on. they just some for some reason they just didn't. Uh, Bert just didn't hit him right, and he yeah. was a very sophisticated, charming, uh, big city kind of guy. And maybe he just. They just didn't get it, you know, yeah. and uh, and I'm glad they didn't. But I got it and flew out to California and, and recorded the vocal uh, for the bicycle scene, and then we recut uh, uh, Raindrops uh, later for the single. Didn't you have laryngitis or something? Yeah, I was sick. I had been to the doctor the day, two couple of days before we did the session. And I had been on a, uh, a three-week tour of the Midwest, yeah. and I was really beat up pretty bad. And I kind of burned the candle at both ends in those days. And the, uh, As I was, you do. I was out there rocking and rolling, and uh, uh, when I got out there, I could barely talk. And I went, did see a doctor, and he said, you know, Mr. Thomas, I don't want you to even speak for two weeks. Wow. And he said, if you got anything to say, write it down, you know. And I said, man, you, you've got to help me. I've got a session in a couple of days for a Paul Newman movie with Burt Backrack. And so he did give me some medicine and gave me a, a B12 shot and uh, and got me. I got through the song five times. Burt was very, uh, he didn't say anything, but he was he was quite upset that, that I wasn't in good shape. But, you know, uh, the 20th Century Fox guy said, boy, you know, this is great. This sounds like maybe Paul is singing. You know, he said, wow. that's a great, it's a great idea, he told me. He thought and, Paul Newman was singing? And he, well, he thought that's what I was trying to do, was was sing it in a way that it could could be would be Paul. And he said, that's a great idea. And I went, oh, thank you. you know, but and he didn't know I was just barely getting getting through it. And if you hear it now, you can hear it's kind of I a little scratchy. Uh, and a little under, but uh, we where did. are those tapes? Where are those originals? Well, I guess uh, you know the masters or 20th Century Fox probably has them, but you can hear it when they, you know, you see the movie, you can tell it. it we pulled it off, of course. I mean, you know, it, it won all the awards. We pulled it off, but we did recut it six weeks later here in New York, and. Uh, and, and got it exactly right. That's you know. a great story. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Milling About with B.J. Thomas. Now, you have a new record called Once I Loved, mm -hmm. inspired by Brazil, which is definitely my favorite country on the planet. Oh, my God. It's just incredible down there. Oh, gorgeous. It's, it's a great place. I've had a lot of uh, uh, hit records down in, in Brazil. And Why? 
You know, I th- they, well, they, they call me a romantic singer down there, and so they love, you know, they're very sexy and, and yeah. romantic, and they love the samba, and they love the bossa nova, and they love uh, these real honest, sincere love songs, you know, so they would pull obscure songs off my albums, uh, such as Suspicious Minds, but they'd pull Close to You and Light My Fire and and uh, this guy's in love with you. And, of course, I had raindrops and hooked on a feeling and those things. But they just have always loved me. And Rock and Roll Lullaby was the theme song to their longest-running soap opera. I love that story. And so... That is hysterical. So I'm kind of in their consciousness with that show. And, uh, you know, I go down there every now and then. So uh, Alice Warsberg, Bob Mann, and a group of us musicians, you know, we've, we've made so many records over the years we've been around all these all these years and we said you know we love the music for for brazil south america and we said you know maybe it's not the most commercially viable uh, project but uh, you know let's just do it for ourselves all musicians love to play that music that joe beam stuff carl uh uh, antonio yeah we did ipanema and a bunch of things and uh and you know we just had so much fun doing it, and it's kind Drinking of a light lots jazz. Of Caprahina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ca- yeah, that little little cappuccino is a way of life down there, and it just kind of came off as a as kind of a, a light jazz kind of thing, and the, and we and we love it. So we're we were just actually releasing it for South America, but we said you know let's let's make it available here. So we're promoting that, and uh, yeah, it's, a good it's idea. on BJThomas.com. You come on there. Bang. Yeah. It's a great record. I just love it. I just love the rendition of Rock and Roll Lullaby, even. Yeah, we recut Lullaby kind of in a, ba- a bossa nova kind of thing. It was, yeah. it was fun. It was fun. How, now, how did that song fit into their little novella there? Tell me that story. Well, it was the theme song. You know, the show opened and closed, and it played, you know, behind various scenes. And whenever, when it would get very uh, dramatic, it would play softly in the background. Just the original master that we, that we had. And, uh, you know. Is that bizarre for you so, to see that? Like when they're in slow motion, perhaps their hair waving in yeah, the breeze. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> there's beautiful people. Uh, those Brazilian girls, they, you know, the guy, and the guys are all tall and handsome, beautiful people. Yeah. So uh, I, I was always impressed that, that, they, that they liked it like that. And uh, and uh, I, was, I guess I was... Uh, Probably surprised when I when I first found out about it. And I didn't really know that it was in the novella for years. And then I I would go make trips back down there, and of course people would tell me. And uh, so it was a it was a great thing. You know. Did you ever watch it? Yeah, I watched it a few times, uh, and I couldn't I could I couldn't even tell you the, the, the name of it. The por- Portuguese <laughs> I've worked and worked and worked on on the, the Portuguese language. Yeah, and it's very difficult. Oh, uh, I know. I, I, did, think, I, I think I knew one word. Yeah. Tuta Bain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuta Bain. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, uh, so I, I know just uh, I, I can get together maybe four or five phrases when I go down there. And if I can think fast enough, I can use them. But uh, it's a beautiful language. It's the most beautiful language that when it's, it's sung. It's language of love. Yes, it's, it's un- uh, unbelievable. And they have some of the greatest singers uh, and musicians down there, and we've got four duets on the on the album uh, yes. with Ivete Singalo and Yvonne Lenz, Jao Bosco, and Leila Pinheiro. So yeah, once I love, you should absolutely listen to it. Yeah. Now you mentioned hooked on a feeling. I have been wanting to ask you this question my entire life. <laughs> what is with the Uga Chaka? Well, you know, the Uga Chaka was a, was not my version. My, my version was in '69, and I think Blue Swede is the group that had the 
the Ugachaga, <clears throat> uh, somewhere in the in the seventies. So we 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 had the uh, electric sitar. But were ride. you were you like shocked when that came out with the Ugachaga? Oh no, not really. Do you I, think I, it I thought it was. Yeah, I think it worked. I think it was a real good uh, production idea. I don't think they c- ever could have recaptured that uh, electric sitar ride that Reggie Young did uh, in Memphis. Yeah. And and I, of course I did that. I did that last night with Paul Schaefer and uh, and Will and the, and the and the Schaefer band on Letterman. And that was our the one we really wanted to do together. So it's a lot of fun to do. And you know I probably. Maybe I could have lived without raindrops keep falling, but I'm glad I didn't have to live without Hooked on a Feeling because that's uh, that's probably my most popular song, even though I'm better known for raindrops. Oh, it makes me feel so good to listen to it. Yes, I love that song. Although I always used to confuse the lyrics. This is really funny. I used to think it said, I'll just stay a victim if I can for sure. I- I'll just stay addicted. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'll stay addicted. I'll just stay addicted. Oh, I forgot. I can't think of the line right now. I'll just stay addicted. I hope I can. And I hope I can endure. Endure. Yes. Hope I can endure. And that was written by Mark James. And uh, Mark Mark has got called me. I, I'd had I'm so lonesome and mama and and a, and a couple of things. And Mark called me in '67 and, and said, "Man, you need to come to Memphis. We got a great riot, writers here and everybody. They're writing hits. They're cutting a bunch of hits. And that Memphis studio." Even though Stax was there too, doing great, that American studio had uh, recorded 20% of the pop chart hits for two years running. Right. So they were really great, and uh, of course Elvis really, really bumped them up. And he told me to come in, so I did, and and, uh, and it was good because I cut cut some good records there. Now I understand <clears throat> there was a point in your career where you were contemplating acting. Yeah, you know uh, when I was with Scepter, uh, <laughs> Florence always saw me as a as a movie star. You really. Know? And she said, "Oh, you're the next uh, Montgomery Clift or something." I don't know. She, so I did do, you know, I did a movie back then in '74. I did a western down in um, uh, Mexico with uh, John Marley and Robbie Benson's first movie. And I actually went and read for uh, Sergio Leone when uh, he lost Clint Eastwood. Wow! And I went and read for the man with no name. <clears throat> but uh, she always saw me like that. But. Uh, you know, it, that wasn't something that, that... You could have been Dirty Harry. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, and, and I just was in a little film a few years ago. But, you know, Gloria and I had a had a conversation. Uh, I was working, you know, 300 nights a year. I was gone all the time. And uh, she just asked me, she said, BJ, are you going to do? Are you going to start acting now also? And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she, she said, well, would you... Would you not be an actor? And I said, well, you know, it's because you're gone all the time anyway. And I said, okay, you know, so we had an agreement that I would just do the music and I wouldn't pursue the, the, the acting thing. So I don't know what could have been there. You know, that, that acting thing is not as easy as it looks. No, it's but, not. Uh, but it is so much fun. But I just never pursued it. And, uh, you know, so things just are what they are, you know. What was the Robbie Benson movie? It was a movie called Jory, J-O-R-Y. And I played a gunslinger, uh, uh, Jocko. And uh, <clears throat> John Marley, the guy from Godfather fame, you know, woke up with the horse's head in his bed. Yeah. He was uh, he was really the star of the movie, and it, Robbie Benson's first movie. And we shot it down in Durango, Mexico, and just had a, a great time. And four months down there. And that, so that was when Gloria said, you know, gosh, BJ, you've been gone four months. She came and visited me twice. 
And uh, she must have some puppy dog eyes to make you she's, like, uh, see what you what she wants. Oh yeah, I mean she's uh, whatever she wants, uh, I give her. Yeah, you know? and everything she's got, I, I gave her. So. <laughs> Where, At where, that point, <laughs> where, where is this movie now? Is it on on video anywhere? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's sometimes I'll, 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 the last time I played Canada, the, uh, uh, or a few times back, I played Canada, and so they ran it on TV when I was when I was there. But it's it's uh, it's there. It's not you know it's not the carp uh, uh, gone with the wind or anything. Uh, but uh, well, it, you know, it was just a it was just a fun thing. They had a the first day of shooting. Uh, uh, the first day when all the actors got together and they brought us our horses that we yeah. were going to ride in the, in the movie. And Howard Minsky, this was Howard Minsky's next movie after Love Story. Oh, yeah. So he was really hot. And anyway, we got on the horses and we began to ride off. And his horse, there's one tree out there in this kind of desert, mountainous area. And this horse heads straight for that tree and runs runs into the limb and knocks Mr. Minsky off the horse. Oh, my God. And breaks his shoulder, and they have to fly him back to, to Los Angeles for surgery and everything. And his son then took over and did a great job, but things just uh, <clears throat> things were just out of, out of kilter the, almost the whole time. And I, I made some good friends, uh, friendships, but... Uh, it, that you still maintained tough. over the years? Uh-huh, yeah. That I, that, that's it. Howard's son... Uh, 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 gosh, now I'm going to forget his name. Howard Minsky's son, and we're still buddies. Of course, John Domanian was my uh, John Domanian works with Woody Allen, and he was my my guy back then. And he also was in the movie a little bit part. And so we maintained those those friendships and the wow. great experience. Great to think back on it. Lots of bad things. My dad passed away while oh. I was down there, and I of course I had to fly back to Texas and. Uh, so a lot of there was a lot of drama, and too bad it didn't all get in the movie. The movie was Can you okay. Imagine it would have been like Werner Herzog <laughs> movie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> um, this is milling about with B.J. Thomas, and um, just wondering what can you possibly do next? I mean, what a career you've had. Well, you know, there's all there's really <clears throat> some major things for me to do, and I just finished a, 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 an album. In the another muscle, album. In muscle shows, yeah, that we're going to have out in the spring. Just really some, some great. I mean, for me and just in my opinion, just some really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go down and cut a, a whole series of albums and muscle shows. Uh, but there's, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Arnold Palmer. You know, would Ar would Arnold Palmer like to win another tournament? You bet. You know. Yeah. So that's what we that's what we go for. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's not. Uh, uh, realistic in some sense, but uh, you know it, it. It is realistic, in uh, in in a sense. So uh, that's the part of the burning desire and and the uh, the purpose of doing the music and um, you know radio radio. Uh, it's it's we, so different. Now. We don't fit the demographics, but you know if we cut just the right thing and had it had the right turn on it and. Uh, uh, you know, we could we could get in there for a song or two. So we always have a have that goal in mind. And uh, you know, if we if we didn't, we probably wouldn't be interested in in, in continuing to do it. But there's I, that same burning desire I had when I was 15 years old. Really? It's still there. You really? know, so uh, so that's what I do. So that's that's why I do it. <laughs> How come you think you still have that desire, that burning desire from when you were 15? That's something else. Because what do you? 20 yeah, yeah, now. yeah. Well, I'm 68 now, so <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of my peers uh, uh, 
that I know their their voices are not in good shape. Uh, but some of the best things that uh, that's happened to me in, in my life, as far as my health and my relationships go, have been things I've done to keep my throat. Uh, you know, I mean, I stopped smoking, uh, stopped smoking anything, stopped drinking. Um, I, I, uh, I stopped eating late at night. I, I, I go to bed now. I get sleep when I, when I need it. And I treat myself really well. And that's all been just so I can keep singing, you know. Yeah. And so. Um, and it's in the jeans also. I, you know, I in guess. In the jeans I, as you're wearing your jean jacket yeah, here. <laughs> well, I'm going to put a better jacket on when I go outside because it's kind of cold today. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a, it, I never really uh, thought of I was going to be a singer, although I like to sing and I. Uh, and, and I did, you know, a, a fair amount of singing. It w really wasn't until I walked out in front of that first uh, James Brown. I was booked out with James Brown and Dick Clark and uh, walked out there and, God, there, you know, there, there was 12,000 people out there and it just dawned on me, oh, man, you know, look what you've gotten yourself into, you know. Yeah. Because I had no idea um, uh, that that's, I mean, I had never let, let myself think about it. So, um, but it's just... Uh, it's just something I could not. I had to do, or I wouldn't. I wouldn't be happy. No pun intended, but it, you got hooked on a feeling. Absolutely, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I went out with you know. I went out the first gig. I went out was with James Brown, and he was like a god to me, and uh, Jackie Wilson and uh, Johnny Mathis and people like that. And uh, uh, they thought I was a uh, an R&B uh, a black singer at first. Then they realized that you know that, that I wasn't a, uh, a black guy. And uh, but it, w it wasn't a color thing to me because all sold. the black people were my heroes, and I would have traded colors with them in a heartbeat. But uh, they booked me out with Dick Clark, and there was Gene Pitney, and and all those guys. And Gene Pitney was uh, the epitome of class, and uh, so I, I began to study those guys and watch every move they made, and uh, I tried to replicate some of that and put and get some of that into what I was doing because I had no idea about being an entertainer. I'd just been a singer in a dance band. I, sang for dances, you know, oh. uh, for kids out in out in the boondocks. We'd play these big dance halls because we were we were too young to work the nightclubs and go to the city, and uh, so we played these big dances. And there'd be a couple of thousand kids come out of the out of the woods and the farms, and uh, we'd play a four-hour dance. And so that's all I that's that was show business to me. And I never really related myself to what Elvis and these other guys were doing. But then when I got out with Dick Clark, then I had to begin to okay, well, I've got to develop this kind of this uh, this ability, you know. So. And we're glad that you did, <laughs> BJ Thomas. What a pleasure! Oh, thank you so much. I was so I was looking forward to talking to you again. So I'm glad we got this done. Thank you. They never did wait on us. <laughs> yeah, we where's the waiter? And they never they never did come and give us anything. <laughs> we'll have cheesecake another yeah, time. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.